Hello. Now, I can't see you guys from uh, where I am, so I'm hoping that you can hear me and uh, see me, and uh, it's all still working as it needs to. Uh, it's great to be with you. It's been great to see all your faces this morning and uh, kind of get this connection that uh, has been missing for quite a while. And uh, it's a real joy to see everybody worshipping and uh, enjoying yourself, get that privilege as a Zoom co-host so that I can do bits and pieces while I'm talking to you, like share my screen, which is what I'll do in a moment. Now, we're starting this series on Ephesians this week. And the whole book of Ephesians is like a powder keg of kingdom truth. And what we want to do is we want to explore that powder keg of kingdom truth absolutely as much as possible. Now, let me see if I can share my screen. Here we go. Hopefully that's working. Now, thank you to Catherine, who's put the, uh, the kind of graphics together for us. Uh, for this series and we're going to be following this pattern of sit, walk and stand. We're going to start off in our series next week by looking at this seated position. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 2 chapter 4. He says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved and raised us up and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So being seated with Christ as our spiritual legal position and all that comes from it is super important. And we're going to be exploring that over the next few weeks. The next idea is walk. This comes from Ephesians 5, 1. Paul says in his letter, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And that's about how we do life, how we do life in the church, life in our homes, and how we do this walk in God in the world and we'll be exploring that further and the last one I want you to remember out of this sick walk, sit walk stand is this stand and it's our attitude to the enemy in Ephesians 6 we've got that famous passage of the armor of God and Paul says that he wants us to put on the whole armor so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil it's a positional statement it's who we are as the people of God, being able to stand in the authority of the risen Christ and see a change happen in our world, in our circumstances and those of the circumstances of those around us. Now, this idea of sit, walk, stand as a hook, so to speak, to enable us to get hold of the ideas of Ephesians springs out of this book by Watchman Nee. Now, he doesn't talk specifically about Ephesians, but he takes the principles of sitting, walking and standing that Paul uses in his book. And he explores all of that. It's a really small book, only a couple of hundred pages, really small, only about the size of my hand. Easy to get hold of, 
available on Amazon. If you want to read a book that will help connect you in with the series and the idea of growing and exploring what God has done for us and who we are as his people in this world, then I recommend getting hold of that little book and uh, enjoying it as we go through. Now, let's have a little think about Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, Paul's letter and its context. When Paul is first interacting with the Ephesian community in AD 51, there's probably around 51,000 people. Estimates push out to maybe 150,000, but the estimates are being revised down with what they know about population and agriculture and the town and the city. And they're thinking it's around 51,000 people. Of course, you've got really significant influences in that community. You've got the Temple of Artemis. You've got a huge following that uh, that follow that worship and that identity. We read about all of that in Acts. And you've got both the Temple of Artemis, but also other Greek gods, a whole plethora, loads and loads of different Roman gods as well. And you've also got a reasonably large Jewish community in presence. So it's quite a mixture of beliefs. Kind of makes you think a little bit about Bishop Stortford. Quite a lot of different beliefs. I'm sure if we explored what the beliefs were of different people in our own community, we'd find that there are many. When Paul arrives, now Paul goes there twice, uh, first initially with um, Priscilla and Aquila, and, uh, and then kind of only stays very briefly, having spoken in the synagogue, and then moves on, goes somewhere else, and then subsequently comes back. Now, when he gets there, remember this is 51 AD, the, uh, the message has been coming out since around 30 AD, since the resurrection of Christ. And so we've got around 500 Christians in that city of around 50 odd thousand people. By AD 67, the estimates are that we've got nearly over 5,000 Christians, that there are then 340 churches, gatherings of 15 people in all these different homes, around 340 homes throughout the city where people are meeting, they're praying, they're exploring what this kingdom of God looks like. They've got the Old Testament potentially, but they're also going to be in need of some more information. And that's why Paul writes this letter to be read out amongst the churches. Now, as a slight aside, when we read the book of Ephesians, we have to remember it's not a letter to be read. It was a letter to be performed from somebody's memory to the community. It would have been delivered along with a copy of the original letter. But the letter itself was written in such a way that the person would be able to memorize it from the scroll and then speak it and present it to the listeners. And that presenter would be adding emphasis and intonation and encouragement as they gave the letter to the church. It was in the speaking that the letter was published to the community. So this is a dynamic book really designed to be heard more than being read. Now, there's lots of Bible apps available at the moment. I use version. You may have others. I've also got the Bible um, in audible form uh, read by, um, I can't remember his name. It's gone off the top of my head now, but a famous actor, John Suchet. There you go. So 
you can listen to the whole book of Ephesians if you want. And I recommend you do so from start to finish, because the ideas in Paul's letter are continuous. He builds from the beginning all the way through to the end. And it's one big picture of what the church is to look like in Ephesus. Indeed, it's part of Paul's blueprint to the church across the world. So if you can, take the opportunity to listen to the whole book all the way through and get the big picture of what he's talking about as what the church is and God's work in it and the God's work through the church into the world. So we've got Ephesians, we've got this explosion of the church happening in this so in this city that is dynamic in its range of different other religions and expressions and it grows rapidly. So what happened? What's the context that Paul's writing into? Well, you can read about the context in Acts in chapter 18, 19 and 20. And you get this flow of Paul arriving originally with Priscilla and Aquila and then leaving and Priscilla and Aquila basically interacting with Apollos and both of them discipling Apollos into greater knowledge of the kingdom of God and who Christ is so that Apollos can be a much more effective preacher and evangelist. And then you've got Paul coming back again after another journey and he comes to Ephesus and there he stays. And you see that being explored in Acts chapter 19. And that's quite a radical phase of the church's growth. Some of the things we read about in Acts chapter 19 are amazing. We've got Paul healing by his shadow and by garments being taken off him. Remember, he's working with Priscilla and Aquila in a tent making business, and he's not putting any pressure on the church to support him. And as he's doing that work, the presence of God still with him in the workplace, in his work, is being taken from his sweaty rags, maybe round his neck or from his brow, and people are taking them and healing others. His shadow is healing people. We're getting these interactions of the Holy Spirit being made manifest through Paul, through the church, into the community at large. There is a huge number of interactions going on, so much so that it causes a riot in the city. There is this riot of those that follow Artemis and the worship of Artemis, and they get so much pressure from this growing Christian community that they're worried that great Artemis is going to be, you know, kind of put to one side and their, their renown of their city is going to be destroyed. They, they worry that there is this interaction with the Christians that is going to mean that everything that they've built, all that they worship is going to be seen for what it is. And there's also people with money involved in the temple Artemis, the Artemisian worship. And so they're worried about that. The silversmiths who make these little icons of the temple and of the deities are worried that they're going to lose their income. It's a whole raft of things happening and it's exciting and it's dynamic. And we get uh, to a point where there's going to be, well, there is a riot in the city and people gather in the amphitheatre and chant about how great Artemis is for hours. And there's a real danger then that the Romans are going to come in and 
bring discipline back to the city and Paul is uh, is ushered away he's not allowed to go to the uh, to the arena where everybody's going crazy he wants to but they don't let him and then on he goes on his journeys afterwards so Ephesians is written just after that uh, all of that that happens and takes place and then of course we've got Paul's letter to Timothy, who's heading up the church, who's who's leading in the church in Ephesus. And he's got two letters there where he talks about the context. Later on, of course, in around AD 95, we've got John's revelation of Christ and the Holy Spirit writes a specific letter to the church in Ephesus. And while we've seen this explosion of growth, we've seen this excitement, we've seen this fervour of people growing, they're experiencing the love of Christ, they're growing and they're moving and they're exploring who God is. We find that by AD 95, they've lost their first love and that God needs to speak into that. And he redirects them. He, he takes their focus and says, look, I know your perseverance. I know your heart. I know where you're at, but you've lost your first love, which is me. Come on, focus on me. Let's draw together. Come on, let's make me your focus again. Not what the church has become, not its size, not its institutions, not its structure. Focus on me again. And of course, this letter to Ephesians that Paul writes is all about the dynamic exploring of what being church together is. It's all about Jesus at the end of the day. The whole letter points to Jesus. It talks about who he is. It exalts him and lifts him high above any other competitor, any other deity that would want to try and compare to Jesus. Paul makes it clear there is none, there is nothing. He is high and seated above everything. He says that those who are united to Christ in faith share in his death and his resurrection. There is certainty about our identity. We know who we are. We're seated in heavenly places. We have authority because of who Christ is. And he wants us to see that explored and demonstrated to the world around us. He wants us to show to the principalities and powers that the kingdom of God is the kingdom that is growing and ruling on the earth. And the church is the mechanism for that happening. So we're going to be exploring this. We're going to be exploring being seated with Christ and what that looks like for us and how that strengthens us and how that enables us and being united by faith in Christ, how we're empowered, how we live out our lives in our private context, in our homes, in our relationships, how we encourage one another, how we honour, how we submit to one another and what that looks like but also how we demonstrate to the world the kingdom of God, its power and its authority, exactly what Paul demonstrated as he explored with those first disciples, asking them, have you been baptised by the Holy Spirit? And then, seeing they hadn't, they'd been baptised into the baptism of John, seeing them baptised into the Holy Spirit, and then exploring with them, as he says in Acts 20, going from house to house, teaching them, strengthening them for about two or three years in what this life looks like. What does this life in God look like? Empowered by Holy Spirit, both in our behaviours and in our stepping out and letting the world know. Jesus Christ is alive and he rules and reigns and his kingdom has come. Repent 
and turn to God because that is the way of life now and salvation for eternity. So I'm going to break off now at this point and uh, I'd love to talk for longer, but I won't. Um, and we're going to go to our group connections. OK, and so in those groups, after you've said hi, after you've reconnected, after you've had opportunity to, you know, share fellowship and love one another, I'd like you to chat about and be specific about talking about what is the church here in Bishop Stortford? What does it look like? Who are we together? How dynamic in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit and our growth as a community? What does that look like? and how we can start exploring that in the book of Ephesians.